Support for today's show comes from Squarespace, where you can turn your great idea into a reality. Because Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work, selling products, showing off your writing, or, uh, you know, just being you. It's the future uh, right now, 2018, 19, 20, whatever year. Why don't you have a website that makes you feel like part of it? So head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for today's show also comes from Heineken, because with all the stresses of life, it can be easy to lose perspective on what really matters. But Heineken believes that life is about being with friends and opening yourself to new experiences, because when you live spontaneously and embrace the unexpected, it's a chance to create new stories and connections. You just have to be open to it. So enjoy a refreshingly cold, full-bodied Heineken lager today with its deep golden color, light fruity aroma, mild bitter taste, and a crisp clean finish. Cheers. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also having a pretty surreal week in a good way. I I don't know if you keep tabs on me, know what I'm doing, but I was on the TV program Jeopardy, and uh, everyone was very nice. I had a very nice time. And I don't have a ton more to say about it right now other than check me out on Twitter and social media. Twitter is at Alex Schmitty because I, I say more about it there. And uh, there may turn out to be more to say. It's out of my control, but we'll see, which is very exciting. And that's not the the only wild thing about this past week or so for me because I got to talk to an incredible guest and you get to hear from them. Our guest today is LeVar Burton. I borderline don't need to do more intro than that. Uh, if you if you know anything about just like culture uh, over the past several decades or or just the world of entertainment and literature and media, he's an amazing guy. Everything from the miniseries Roots to the show Star Trek The Next Generation, where he plays Jordi LaForge, to his, his incredible work getting people to read more. And uh, you may know Reading Rainbow or even his modern work with children uh, at LeVar Burton Kids, which we will, of course, footnote. But he's also doing a podcast called LeVar Burton Reads that is my favorite current source of short fiction. Uh, He's an amazing storyteller, story curator, and performer of some of the best short fiction going on right now. And you will hear me be very, very excited this episode. It's just going to be up front because it's really a treat to get to talk to this person. A lot of interesting factual material in this episode, like we always do, uh, especially about the idea of science fiction prototyping and also the state of literacy in America. This is also a very human episode. I I think it's neat that you get to meet this person. And so it's going to be very conversational. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Please sit back or sit in a fashion that lets you, uh, you know, like uh, rewatch some episodes of Jeopardy from recently. Because, again, real weird time, real great time. I-, I got to be on it, and I'm very grateful. Either way, enjoy this episode of The Crack Podcast with the one and only LeVar Burton. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm. 
LeVar, thank you so much for doing this and taking the time and everything. Alex, it's good to see you. It's more of a treat for me to see you. Uh, it's it's pretty great. I think, um, you're, I think you're <laughs> underestimating just what a treat you yourself are, <laughs> Alex. Oh, stop. Um, <laughs> I talked uh, in the intro a bit about LeVar Burton Reads and what it yeah. is, and I love it. Um, I'm curious what your favorite thing is about making that show, about getting to do it. Um, the reading of the stories. And getting to know a story over the course of having it be uh, considered, then selected, then recorded. Right. If it's a, a story for, for the live events, I will have gone through a similar process, and then I will record a scratch track of it for the musician who will accompany me on stage for the performance. So it's an opportunity to really get to know a story for me, because I'm, the, the process requires that I read the story three four times. And every oh, sure. time... Yeah. I discover something else. Yeah, it's fair because you're approaching it as a performer and yes. a reader and a right. curator. And, right. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. So I get to know these stories. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I mean, because, and I'm sure that's this is true with your listeners, that because I do a sort of a postscript commentary at the end of the episode talking about the story that we've, we've just all listened to, and sometimes I'll have very definitive points of view. It's should be no secret to anybody who knows me that I have opinions about shit. So. You? Hold on. <laughs> what? Stop, stop the tape. No, we're... <laughs> so I have, I have encountered an interpretation that I have later gone back and upon a yet another reading of the story thought, wow, well, you know, there's another way to see it. So that's one of the things I, I love about literature is, is, is that every time you come to it almost, it can... It can Deliver a different gift. I love that. Yeah. And you, well, you're a remar remarkable person in many ways, but one of them is that you've been helping curate stories for people for decades. Mm. Like I, uh, mm. I found there's an oral history of reading Rainbow mm. uh, where they talk about how the first season they had, I think, over 600 books to choose from mm. and then ended up narrowing it down. Mm. And now you're picking them To so that first season, which must have been about, I think, 10 or so episodes. Right. <laughs> right? No, really. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's pretty tough to make the cut. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it was. It was. <laughs> it really was. Because we cared so deeply about about the literature and the relationship that we were hoping to establish with kids through the television medium with the written word. I mean, that was what we were trying to do is encourage reading and a love of reading. I feel like that show was aimed at sort of enthusiasm about reading. Yeah. Most of all, like there's all, you gain some technical skills just by hearing reading. Sure. You know? With reading to adults, is it kind of a similar approach? Because not that LeVar Burton Reads has to be for adults, but I feel like it's... I feel like it is for adults. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, you know, um, I say all the time, this is, these are stories, these are stories for grownups. Having said that, there are people out there who, who, who listen with their children. And I know that, you know, you know your child better than I uh, ever could. And so you know what is age appropriate for your, your child's maturity level or not. So yeah, I trust that, you know, everybody out there that is listening with their children are aware that these are intended to be stories for adults. There certainly can be value in them for, for younger listeners, absolutely. But I love the opportunity to just read aloud, which is one of my favorite things to do. It's entertaining to me to yeah. read aloud. It's a real pure form of storytelling because it's the text and the imagination of the listener and a performer. You know, right, someone yeah. who's 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 willing to to step into that role 
of master of ceremonies of the, of the circus, right? And deliver all of the characters and deliver the moments that the writer wanted to deliver. People may not know just how passionate you are about getting to do that. One thing I was reading in that, like reading Rainbow Oral mm-hmm. History, was that you, uh, they said you got to start doing Star Trek The Next Generation. And so then just to make the schedule work, you were doing that weekdays and reading Rainbow Weekends. You were just working and there were And there were sometimes sometimes when I would need to get a couple of days off because we were a location show reading Rainbow. Star Trek shot on the Paramount lot in Los Angeles. But reading Rainbow, we were, we sort of traveled around to tell those stories. And whenever it was necessary for me to have a few days off from Star Trek, Rick Berman, our executive producer, made sure that happened because Rick was a former point in his career. He was a producer of children's television. Rick produced a series called The Big Blue Marble oh. back in the day. Okay. Yeah. And so Rick knew how important Reading Rainbow was to me, and he knew how important he recognized the importance of Reading Rainbow on TV. And I was able to do those two things simultaneously with a, a lot of love and support. I understand why it works that way, because I, I know things, but it's just very fun to me that reading Rainbow, you were going everywhere, and then the show about outer space. <laughs> yeah. Very contained. Stationary. Just, uh, yeah. yeah, one spot. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's very astute. There was an anecdote in that piece about the show where they said that you, at one point, were doing a location thing for reading Rainbow, and uh, there was an elephant, and it was firing snot at mm, people, mm, and mm. they said that you just push through getting, uh, like, elephant snot on you because you were going to get that part. You were going to get that bit for the show. Yeah. There were a lot of animals situations. Huh. Not, like not to bring up a, a, a horrible... Uh, a scarring <laughs> experience? Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much, Alex. Uh, I've had plenty of therapy between then and now. Um, but that was, you know, that was part of the fun of being the host of Reading Rainbow for me was being able to be implacable in whatever situation they threw me in, yeah. right? Um, whether or not I was being mauled by goats or, you know, snotted on by an elephant or, you know, there were, <laughs> you know, there were always these unpredictable animal moments. I mean, Bengal tigers and I mean, I mean, some incredible wow. animal encounters I forgot over the, the years. Wow. Yeah, Bengal tiger and, and those, you know, those are real moments. You know, you try and show up in those moments um, with all of your humanity intact to intersect with, you know, with whatever species it is you're interacting with. And you can't script it all the time. (laughs) Well, they wouldn't read it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, No, you're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Elephants don't read so much. They remember a lot, but they don't read. As far as when you're bringing uh, writing to people, like, why fiction? You know, I I think people have all sorts of different opinions on why it's so critical. If you just want to get people excited about reading, couldn't you present them with some nonfiction history or whatever? And and I say that all the time. I mean, the way to influence someone's reading habits is to make sure that they're reading material around some subject that they're passionate about. And if and if yeah. if that happens to be a you know a, a nonfiction category, if they want to you know if they have a, a, a passion for motorcycles and they want to read about motorcycles, that's you know that <laughs> whatever the gateway drug is, you know what I'm saying? It, I say if 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 your kid loves superheroes, then damn it, buy your kid comic books because reading is reading. Yeah, and it represents in in the reader a thirst for knowledge and information. I like that. The curiosity gets satisfied. And curiosity, I think, is the greatest trait we have as human beings. 
our curiosity. Oh, I, I like that a lot. Why, why curiosity? Well, because it's our curiosity that invites us and enlivens us to the point where we actually try and figure shit out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we have demonstrated that when we really apply our brain matter, we can be pretty good at figuring stuff out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, look at us. And it's all driven by what? <laughs> by wanting to know. Curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, uh, that's also, too, something that I, I wish people were more excited about because I will occasionally try to look up, like, uh, scientific backing for why people should be reading, hmm. you know? And there are studies out there that people I'm have sure. tried, and, and they're, they're pretty convincing. But, like, people will come up with, well, it improves vocabulary because, of course, it does. True. Um, but also people have, and we'll link a few of them in the footnotes of this, but people have tried to do studies showing that reading improves your empathy and your emotional yes, intelligence. that is and very true. I think it just is true. Like, yeah. I don't think I need a study to, no. to tell me. <laughs> no, no. You know, I guess the short answer to the question, you know, why read is because reading. <laughs> because reading. What it does for you. <laughs> are, are we asking too much of it for it to be our main, like, I guess not our main driver of understanding other people and have emotional intelligence, but like, is that too much, too much freight to put on reading? That it'll be By the itself, thing? yeah, because the yeah. culture is made up of so many different uh, tentacles of input and yeah. influence, right? However, I don't believe that you can underestimate the power that storytelling plays in the development of culture. Oh, sure. Right? Reading is a part of the storytelling tradition. We told stories long before we mastered letters and sentence structure. Yeah, sure. Right? Oral traditions. Absolutely. And... There was a whole world that existed before the printing press. Yeah, do you ever do you ever wonder with somebody, I don't know, like Homer or something, like mm. if they got to see their work written now, they'd be like, you skipped a lot of the, I, I said it differently there. <laughs> I, Achilles did a completely different thing ah, when I said it. That's funny. That's, that's, it's, it's a great idea for a sketch. Um, <laughs> That's something to really contemplate for a minute. What what would a Homer think? I don't know. I think they would be excited it lasted, but at the same time, you know, maybe we collectively shaped it too. Yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly have. Because in the in the translation of, from the oral tradition to the to the written, you know, that was a that was a major paradigm shift, right? Yeah. And and for a, a long time, there were only a, f a few who had the magic, right? <laughs> and they were mo they were mostly Catholics. They were monks, right? It was oh, the, sure, yeah. And it was the monks that were taking stories and writing them down and preserving them and with big illuminated letters and, and all of that, right? Yeah. So yeah. those stories, by very virtue of the way they got recorded for forever, those stories had to go through a process of of alteration, morphing, right? I feel like those monks, it was their full-time job. That was their full-time job, right? Like yeah. just physically writing and writing yes. and drawing very big T's at yes. the beginning for the... Beautiful, and, uh, yeah. beautiful, <laughs> beautiful illuminated letters. Yeah, that's true. It's an amazing process. I think also I've seen sort of, I guess, writings from the time when writing was invented when mm. people argued that it would ruin human memory yeah. because as soon as we got writing, people would lose the ability to bother to remember anything. And I think that's to a certain extent true. I know from, from the analog to the digital, in my experience, I'm not writing as much. And so my penmanship really has suffered 
as a result of entering all of my information digitally on a keyboard, oh, yeah. either with my thumbs or, or with my hands. So I can say with certainty that there there has to be some kind of erosion when you're, again, changing the paradigm, right? Because what you're doing is you're evolving into a new way of being. What we read, uh, what we absorb in terms of the storytelling that, that we are exposed to, it helps shape our worldview, our point of view. And so it's all connected, right? Yeah. It's all connected. So these changes have to take place and human beings are allowed to evolve. I mean, that's <laughs> that's why we're here. Hey, hey, this is turning into a pro-evolution uh, show. I don't know oh, about no. that, but I'm just saying. Progress. Turn yeah. it off. Turn it all up. <laughs> <laughs> and also you're, you're a luminary of science fiction, which is, uh, I think, maybe one of the most exciting forms of progress in story, right? Like it, it's it's such a thing for that. Why, uh, why is it so good at that? I have said and believed for a long time that it is because science fiction invites us to contemplate what I genuinely believe are, are two of the most powerful words in combination, yeah. in language. Uh -huh. Those two words being what, if. And science fiction's always delivers an opportunity to contemplate the what if. And again, Going back to curiosity, it's the what if that has caused us to imagine a world that we have then gone on and created because we could imagine it. And the example that I use all the time is the Star Trek franchise. Because oh, uh, what, uh, what is that exactly? Well, is that a there was a, a what is Star Trek? I love it so much. It's a little, uh, <laughs> it's a, I think when we first came out uh, with the Next Generation in '87, I think uh, TV Guide called us uh, a, a children's uh, science fiction show. Really? Yeah. I, I think. Maybe it wasn't TV Guide, but that was that was inked <laughs> somewhere. I, it kind of it cut deep. It's the best. Well, and we'll we'll footnote some things about sort of the overall history of that franchise. But mm. I, I I don't I don't know how you feel, but I feel like we hit maybe a golden age of people knowing about it once all the shows were streaming on Netflix and platforms like yeah. that. Because finally yeah. they were very very easily available yes. to everybody. Right. It's yeah. it's because the whole, especially the original series, it could be so difficult to to find even it. see it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And now that we've developed, you know, this real proclivity for wanting to consume our content on demand, you know, that accessibility has been a, a, a real factor in yet an, another paradigm shift in terms of how we consume our content. Yeah. And also maybe something that we sort of prototyped with uh, Star Trek <laughs> because they can just dial things up on the yeah. computer on the show. Absolutely. And then later we did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look at all of the other ways that that one television series has influenced our world. Yeah. Right. The Bluetooth ear device comes from Uhuru's communicator. Oh, I never thought of that, actually. Uh, the flip cell phone is the communicator. See, yeah. there was a kid who watched those original episodes of Star Trek and kept seeing Kirk pull out that communicator, flip it open, call Scotty, ask him to be beamed up, right? Right. And that kid grew up, became an engineer, a product developer, and created a, a piece of technology that is more prevalent, or was for a time in the 80s, more prevalent than the toaster, <laughs> right? And what's better than 
toast. Very <laughs> few things. Oh, I'm, it, I'm glad we're agreed on this. Toast represents an, an absolute pinnacle of achievement for humankind. It's, I don't know how it gets so much better. You know what I mean? It, but like, it bread is fine. Yeah, but, yeah, but toast. you put fire on bread? Oh, my God. And then add some animal fat? Are you kidding me? Right. right. Woo! It's a party, right? So, so, so the flip cell phone was was directly inspired. The, the iPad directly inspired by the pads we had on next gen. In rewatching the show, like a few years ago, I realized like Picard would be in his office before people came in, and he would be he would using be on a, a tablet. He was on his tablet computer, man. Right. And I was like, wait, how does he have an iPad? You think Steve Jobs that? wasn't a Star Trek fan? <laughs> Come on. Oh, it had to be. Well, and that, that <coughs> prototyping process, there's also an episode of LeVar Burton Reese you mentioned it on that that's for real that cell phones, a man named Martin Cooper mm. saw Captain Kirk communicator that flips open, which in hindsight kind of looks like one of those razor phones, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and said, I would like to make that, and it existed. That's like, his name. We had to imagine it. His name it. is Martin Cooper? He's a guy. He's, yeah. Is he still alive? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll footnote it. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. I've told that story for many years, and now I know the name of the guy. Yeah, that's the person, yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's there's uh, other, like, great stories across uh, the history of technology of people, uh, especially being inspired by Jules Verne mm. and H.G. Wells. Sure. Uh, like, 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea helped to inspire Simon Lake, who patented over 200 naval design patents that led to the modern submarine. That's he did amazing. periscopes, ballast tanks, diver compartments. Really? Yeah. That was all his... And then Captain Nemo was the germ that made him say, oh, submarines could be a thing. And we should should be able to walk in in a self-contained environment outside of the confines of the ship underwater. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. Which is is kind of spacewalky, now that I'm thinking about it. It is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, spacewalky is an adjective I can use, right? It's a word now that, (laughs) that you've uttered it. Since I mentioned Wells, there's uh, Robert Goddard was one of yes. the sort of early rocketry yes, people. Yes, absolutely. Robert Goddard was stuck in bed for two years when he was in high school. He was just frail and uh, couldn't get out of it. And so he read and read and read. And one of the things was War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells, that made him want to build rockets. Uh, Never and- got to spacewalkie himself, <laughs> but, but, you know, was an important part of the process, getting, getting out there. His ideas were spacewalkably. They were. But. They were. They absolutely were. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, curiosity driving the culture forward. Um, yeah. Driving mankind on to, you know, to the next discovery, the next distraction. One uh, relatively recent episode of your show, you read a story called Firewall by mm-hmm. Stephanie Cox. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially mm-hmm. living in L.A., it yeah. was very fascinating to me. Yeah. Because the, do you want to talk a bit about the technology it, in that? It, it posits yeah. that that there is a grand bubble over Los Angeles. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, right. It's great. And inside the bubble, we are protected, and yet there, there are gaps, there are eruptions, holes that are appearing in that protective, that protective layer of yeah. the bubble, and what to do about it. You know? <laughs> And as far as technology goes, like, I just watch wildfires happen here all the time. I'm not saying that story fixed it, but I was very excited that I feel like I've read so much, especially when I was reading, like, Robert Heinlein as a kid and Isaac mm. Asimov. I was reading so much about uh, how to build a better rocket or how to uh, – and, and space is very important. Or was, how to build a better society. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, off-planet. 
Heinlein and, and Asimov are, are, are also full of world building in their writing. Yeah. Um, and and creating you know future histories that we're 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 cities, city size masses are out there navigating the stars. Sure. Right? Those kinds of really fanciful versions of of a potential future are so important. I feel like we have so much to sci-fi prototype next. You know what I mean? Like in terms of mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that firewall story made me think of, oh yeah, climate solutions. Right. Maybe climate we can think solutions. of something. But it seems like maybe that's almost the, ne- I feel like earlier sci-fi was most excited about the rockets and now we're much more into, oh, socially, what can we? What can we do? Come up with. Right. What is it about our our desire, um, our natural thirst to explore? And and how how does that help propel us on our journey in the here and now. You know, what are the byproducts of that sort of thinking and exploration? What are the, what, what products that the problems that we solve to get to space have application here on planet Earth in the here and now to solve issues of great concern, poverty, hunger, health, this being a place where everybody can have their needs met, energy, right? These these are the, the questions that we can then begin to address from a, a a place that isn't about competition. It's more about everybody having their needs met. Imagine it. I what know. A, yeah, I, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'd like living in a in a time like that in a society. Yeah. Like that. There's also an idea that came up on your show that I just want to like pick out because uh, you were talking to Walida Imarisha mm, in a live show. Yeah. Um, and she said a line that. All organizing is science fiction. Yeah, right. Astounding, right? It is. I never thought of it that way. She broke it down, didn't she? (laughs) (laughs) She really did. You know, the premise speaks for itself. You you cannot organize without projecting into the future. Right. It's just, it's virtually impossible. Even if it's as simple as, I'm having lunch tomorrow. Right. Or or, or moving, you know, an object from A to B. You have to be able to project yourself into the future and able to accomplish that feat, that yeah. very simple act. And an organization is a fundamental principle of the human success story, right? Once we got organized, we began to really conquer our environment, right? Once we got yeah. organized, we could hunt as groups, right? We could share the load, right? We could chase down that woolly mammoth and, you know, and run them into a gorge and everybody throw rocks and sticks at it, right? That was all made possible by a, a, a simple principle of organization. Right? I, I often think about farming. I feel like farming sure. must have been really, really strange seeming when they first started. I can like, only it imagine. It must have freaked people out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we're not going to wander around and pick stuff off the land. You know, we're going to stay in one place and we're going to grow shit? <laughs> and then we're going to eat right. it? Really? <laughs> Let's see and, how that works. And then it did. And then we got <laughs> incredibly sophisticated about it. Yeah. Right? In terms of, of learning the rhythms of different, you know, plants and, 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 and vegetables and herbs and, and their cycles, their natural cycles. And, th- and then we got better with water and irrigation. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we can be pretty darn ingenious when yeah. we put our minds to it. And then as far as people being able to find new things because I think like you are doing a lot of neat work in terms of like how adults can keep learning keep reading keep being Uh, how can people find new writing I don't know how you 
track down things to read. But if someone just wants to find, oh, the next neat speculative fiction or just good writing, what can they do? Uh, they can listen to LeVar Burton Reads, yes. my podcast. <laughs> I would suggest I would suggest very vociferously that, that they might want to download a couple of episodes. Because one, <laughs> Me too. One yes, of, that's great. One of the things I try to do, I'm trying to do here, is introduce people to authors that they might not have otherwise heard of. Right. Or from. And I, I genuinely believe that all of these disparate, diverse voices are really critical to the conversation. Because if we're only listening to one voice, right, we're only going to be able to be so effective. But we will be leaving out all these other valuable voices. And now is not a time to be leaving anyone's voice out of the conversation. We need everybody on deck. We have some yeah. serious issues that we need to address. And we need to to be organ- organized and cooperative in yes. order to get it done. So uh, all voices deserve to be at the table. Everybody gets a seat at the table, and, and, and science fiction is, is a place where that's, you know, that, that principle really lives. I also feel like maybe if people just decide that reading is a thing they do lifelong, maybe that helps too. Because I, I don't know, I feel like there's some element of the way school works in a very broad sense yeah. where you feel like you're done reading once yeah, you finish that's school. Right. That's right. Uh, but also maybe if you're done reading when you finish school, then the people you read are the people to read. Yeah. Like you must have read everybody. You must have read everybody. You know, when you were there. But I, I oftentimes think that it's the same process. If you are looking to reconnect with reading as, as something that you used to enjoy but feel like you don't have enough time for these days, I would suggest that, you know, you Ask yourself, so what are you really passionate about? What would you just really enjoy knowing more about? Where does your curiosity take you? And, and that can be the beginning of, of reigniting that spark, you know, having a whole new bright relationship with the written word. I like that. The stats are loose, but Pew Research Center this March said that 24% of American adults have not read a book in the last year in, in any medium, audio, text, wow. anything, which is uh, quite a few people. Like it, We need everybody, it, and that's about it, a quarter of people. It is. <laughs> it is. We do need everybody, and, 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 a, and a quarter of the people haven't read a book. But here's the thing. 40% of us don't vote. Oh, that's right. Right? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, so people are reading, but they're not voting, okay? Yeah. So where's, the, where's the disconnect? Yeah. Where is the disconnect? Because if, 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 you're, if you're a reader, right, then let's assume, for the sake of argument, that you have developed a certain level of, of empathy and compassion, uh, that you do, you know, maintain contact with your innate curiosity, and that you strive to make yourself in the world a better place. Basic assumptions. So if being a reader helps you achieve those values in life, why aren't we voting in larger numbers? Yeah. <laughs> what or who has convinced us that our voice doesn't matter because I think that's the reality. The people don't vote for two reasons. One, they, f- they feel like I'm too busy, I don't have time, or my vote doesn't count, my voice doesn't matter. So f- somewhere along the line, we have adopted the belief system that at least one of those things are true. Right. And that's why we don't vote in huge numbers. We should have 80% voter participation in this country. You can't have a functioning democracy unless the democracy <laughs> is functioning. <laughs> that sounds correct. Yes. Right? <laughs> so we need to vote. Yeah. We need to exercise our voice. We need to exercise our conscience through the ballot, 
through the franchise of the vote. And we need to believe and act as if our voice matters. Yeah, because only some of those obstacles are external, right? Because there there are a few people who there's some kind of disenfranchisement, basically. Uh, But then other people, it's what you're saying. It's, It's that they just feel like it's not worth it. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and that nothing could be further from the truth. Do so it, folks. Yeah. This will be out before the midterms. Ah, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> if you are on the fence, damn it, and, I, and, 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 and if you are, I'm not going to shame you. I'm just going to encourage you. <laughs> get the fuck up <laughs> and get to the polls. <laughs> Support for today's show comes from Audible, which I'm sure you realize is a pretty appropriate sponsor for this episode or any episode of our show. Because, hey, what would it look like if we all listened more? There's no better place to listen than Audible, because now Audible members get even more exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, Audible originals, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now with those Audible originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made just for members. Every month, Audible members get one credit good for any audiobook they choose, plus two Audible originals from a changing selection that they can't get anywhere else. They also get access to audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible, plus your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. But uh, when you get that membership, got a couple tips for you to check out. One is, of course, the writing of Jason Pargin, your friend and mine. He writes for the New York Times bestseller list and Crack.com as David Wong. And his latest book, What the Hell Did I Just Read?, narrated by Stephen R. Thorne, is available right there for you. Also, uh, there's another uh, up-and-coming science fiction author here named uh, LeVar Burton. Yeah, yeah, he's a science fiction author. You can read a short story of his in an excellent collection called Octavia's Brood. It is edited by Walida Imarisha and Adrian Marie Brown. And the idea is uh, it's named after Octavia Butler, who's a fantastic author. And, and it's all about science fiction that comes from a social justice perspective. LeVar's short story, Aftermath, is in that collection. It's called Aftermath. You should check it out. Here's how you check it out. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Why don't you make it one of those? Go to audible.com cracked, or you can text cracked to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash cracked, or text cracked to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. We'd like to thank Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the Cracked Podcast because they're helping us and also helping you out if you let them. Because they they know, hey, Cracked has amazing fans, right? They're into all kinds of different things about history or literature or science fiction or just the world. Why don't you be someone who lets the rest of the world know that with your very own personal website? Squarespace sites have beautiful templates created by world-class designers, and then you have the ability to customize just about anything about it with a few clicks. It's not a bunch of tricky coding. It's clicking and dragging and moving and just setting up exactly the website you want. That website will be optimized for mobile right out of the box. On this episode, we're going to mention the iPad. You know, oh, that crazy Star Trek thing that now we all use or we use something similar with a smartphone. Your website will look right on that device, so it will look good to, you know, Captain Picard and to people in the world. Also, Squarespace makes buying domains very simple. So you can get a domain that you're very excited about, that you're very glad to tell people about, put on a business card, put on a billboard if you're very bold. Hey, how about that idea? 
Whatever you're doing, Squarespace can help. So head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash cracked. Offer code cracked. As far as being in engaged with ourselves and things we can do as adults, mm-hmm. um, one thing you do on the podcast I really love is you you take a very long moment before you start reading yeah. with with sort of a long breath uh, and mm. and sort of a centering thing. How uh, what did that come from? Mm, I like to breathe. <laughs> it is. It has become one of my favorite things. We to are do. stopping tape again. Uh, <laughs> this keeps derailing. Uh, <laughs> Pro breathing now. I am. Boy, oh boy, I have been for some time. Um, so the deep breath for me it, it serves several purposes. It is. It is a multi-fold exercise that I like engaging in. For one, in terms of the story itself, it creates a, a threshold. There was that which became before the story, and on the other side of the breath, now is is the time for the story. So we're consciously stepping into a receptivity for storytelling. One. Sure. Yeah. Two, for me, the breath is everything. I mean, even the word inspiration comes from the Latin inspire, to breathe in, to inhale, oh. right? Inspiration. You can't have inspiration without... Without the breath, because it is the inspiration. It's the breath that connects the human to the divine, right? There are cultures ancient, much more ancient than the American culture, certainly, that have studied breath and the body and the impact on the physiology of the breath and directed breath and conscious breathing. And that's Mm -hmm. what yoga, you know, is. It's an exploration of that dance between the breath and the body, movement and breathing, the union of those two things, right? So for me, when I want to center myself, I take a deep breath. And I always want to begin a reading from a place of center, from a place of balance and and openness, open to, you know, um, the creative, letting it in, allowing for that to to be present. Well, and in terms of being centered like that, I, I love how deeply you think about it. And I feel like we're never taught to do that, especially within the American culture we're we were not, just talking yeah. about. And I'm, I don't know why. I yeah. never, like, I feel like I started to learn about that in my 20s. Good for you. Some but, people never do. And I, I just lucked into being around people who were talking about it. I, I don't know, how, how do we get people interested in it uh, uh, nationally? I guess I'm just wondering how we can make everyone vote more, read more, be more put together. But, yeah. uh, but I wonder how we can make that more of a thing. Breathing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we have a leg up there. That's uh, true. It's something that we all do. We're all at the 101 level. We are. Least, we are. Know? But it's it, 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 and the next step is really a very simple one and it's just conscious breath. It's just being aware of the breath. And yeah. what and, and what the breath allows you to do is to is is to come back to this moment, this now moment. The Buddhists say that's that's all there is is this moment, right? And when you do that, when you come back to this moment, you you acknowledge that from this place all things are possible. Everyone send that to your friends. I love it. It's great. <laughs> They'd send the podcast, I think. That's what I mean. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> Let's have everyone get cracked. <laughs> everyone. You are reading to adults and also to children mm-hmm. uh, now and previously. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. anything ever surprised you in particular about how people react to stories or react to getting to just have someone perform something for them very personally? I think the thing that, that always sticks with me is the power of storytelling, the impact that it has on people. It's 
so fundamentally a part of who we are, so wired into our DNA storytelling. We are so, our senses are, are all disposed to wanting to, you know, experience and absorb story on so many levels, visually, emotionally, right? To, to have a tactile sense in a story really echoes and cements and anchors that storytelling experience, you know? I think it's one of the reasons why playbills are still part of the theater-going experience because you have something tactile, you have something that you can touch that oh. that, that connects you to the that. The little program you get. That's right. Yeah. That, that connects you to the experience, right? At least in my life, I when I have taken them home, I've put them away someplace and, and, and never looked at them again. And I guess sometimes when you go back and you find them and you reminisce, but for me, that tactile connection is a part of that in-the-theater experience, Right. Yeah, it's like you're you're holding it in your hand while you're experiencing what's going on on stage, and so that touch becomes a part of the storytelling experience, and that's when it's at its most valuable in that moment, right? I get they give you those at every show. And they I've do. never thought about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like I occasionally I'll be like, oh, who's that? Oh, they're interesting. Yeah. Like whoever if somebody's doing something, and yeah. I'm like, oh, curious. They yeah. went to a school, but like, I haven't like thought about it. Thought about you it. Know, yeah. I, you know, you don't have to think about it in order to ha- have the experience. Yeah. Right. And of course, a form of storytelling you've done so much with is TV, and, yes. and, and not not just reading to people on it, but yeah. uh, shows, yeah. uh, their narratives. And I feel like I hear people often say that like TV is the new novels, or at least that idea. Like the the long form storytelling is very high quality, uh, and and sort of functions that way too. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that idea? I, I I subscribe to that idea. Certainly when you know when when my career began in the seventies, it, it, it was in concert with the emergence of the the novelization for television, the long form of television. Roots was of one course. of the first mini series, right? Yeah. Um so I so I sort of grew up in that era where television was in indeed literally becoming the place where we experienced books. And and I guess it can also be pretty direct in a lot of ways for specific needs. Like, I, I, from what I read, reading Rainbow, part of the initial impetus for it was to meet kids where they're at, but also meet them in summer. Yes. So if they, if they were out of school, if they weren't uh, in some kind of uh, summer reading program or something, you can get them there then. The impetus behind the show was actually to address what teachers call the summer loss phenomenon, right? Yeah. The fact that a child, when they're learning how to read and then they take that three months of a summer vacation, that interrupts the flow of their of their reading skill, their learning, and their comprehension all suffers. So the, the, the idea was let's grab their attention, meet them where they are, as you said, right, in front of the television, in the in the... In the early 80s, that's where we knew America's kids were hanging out. Yeah. Um, in front of the TV. And so it was, a, it was an opportunity of, of engagement. As far as writers out there, who are you particularly excited about right now? Well, there's a whole crop of writers um, that I'm really excited about, from Nettie Akor Four to uh, Leslie Neka Arima. These are, are women from the African diaspora who are. Uh, addressing themselves to speculative fiction. There's Rebecca Roanhorse, uh, a, a Native woman. She actually has uh, African-American uh, and, and Native heritage. She's an exciting voice. Uh, again, the, emer- the emergence of these voices that have traditionally been categorized as other are coming now to the forefront, and it's a really exciting time in a genre that I, I genuinely love, science fiction and, and fantasy. And I'm, I'm just excited that these voices, that I'm living in a time where these voices can flourish. 
and, yeah. and find an audience. It also seems like that's all great and also part of maybe just publishing or or the opportunity to read being maybe better than ever before. There's, um, uh, according to Publishers Weekly, print book sales have been up annually since 2013. And then also Planet Money a few years ago looked at indie bookstores and they said that from 2009 to 2015, there was a 35% increase in just indie bookstores in the country. Is that right? Yeah. That's which, good news. They said it's partly a reaction to Amazon Yeah, because uh, people want mm. either Amazon or the very or, personal mm-hmm. local. But are, are things better than ever? I don't know. Maybe. That'd I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I'd be interested to, to see some some data on on the research of what percentage of those writers who are being published are people of color, are voices yeah. of the other. Because I know traditionally it has been very few and far between. And, and representation has not been a part of the agenda right. of the publishing industry ever. Yeah. Uh, Ever. In, in many mediums, yeah. too, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So the inroads that I think we are, are making now are, are hard won, as I say, much needed. We need everybody's voice. Do you think the internet is helping, too? Because I feel like it's easier maybe to find people uh, that way. Yeah, Especially if you consciously yeah. want that. Yeah, you know? I suppose, yeah. 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 Not that I need to cheerlead there's, for the there's, internet. There's one, there's one for the internet. <laughs> like, like we need to vote for the internet. Finally. The internet is going to be what the internet is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, also just something I'm curious about, since I get to talk to LeVar Burton, like Star Trek, I think is very exciting right now. We have yeah. TV, new TV and new movies yeah. of it going. Right? How do you feel about where the, the franchise is headed? I'm enormously optimistic, really. I'm excited that Patrick is coming back in the Picard character. Oh yeah, uh, and I'm yeah. I'm really eager to know what you know more about that and and you know where it is we pick him up and what's going on in his life and I don't know whether or not any of his friends are still around. <laughs> oh. oh, I wonder who. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right? I, I mean, I would I would genuinely I'd like to see I'd like to see all of those people from that ship. Yeah, I and, think and, the engineering and, section in particular. Well, I I, we I, 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 but we don't even know if Picard's going to be in Starfleet. I mean, we we have oh, no idea true. where he is. I mean, that's part of the excitement for me is what story is Patrick wanting to tell, wanting to share with us? And I and I know that because he's in and he's in. Great. He's all in. Um, it had to have been a story that was really compelling to him. And he's really picky. Also, I don't know if people know how much work you've done directing television mm. and, among other things, directing tons of yeah. uh, uh, some TNG and mm-hmm. then also Deep Space Nine, Voyager, mm-hmm. and Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it seems like you're still very in touch with the entire progress of the franchise as it goes. Well, yeah, I'm a fan of the franchise and I always have been. So yeah. that, that, that really informs you know, my relationship with it. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan. I yeah. loved Star Trek growing up. Gene Roddenberry's vision was one that spoke to me. It was one that's, that had me represented through the character of Lieutenant Uhuru, Nichelle Nichols' character. Yeah, as a, as, as, a, as a lifelong fan of science fiction, Star Trek was really formational for me on, on many levels. The, the social level, the, the, the morality plays that, that, were, that were part of the, the original series lexicon, the sort of the social stance that Star Trek took 
at the particular time in which it was being made, right at the height of the Cold War. They, there was an Asian and a Russian man both on the yeah. bridge. You know, there were there were all sorts of, of, of reasons for me to like Star Trek. Um, <laughs> and so I, I did. My whole family did. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. When you, and I don't know if people know you directed an episode of Next Gen when you then were able to cast Mae Jemison, yeah. the astronaut, yeah. as a as a person in the as in a the show. transporter chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was was really a very cool thing to be able to do. Mae grew up being inspired by Nichelle, and you know, and and to put those two together and have you know Mae having been the first African American woman in space on the shuttle to have her, you know, complete that circle by being on the show that inspired her to become an astronaut. Pretty cool. Are there any circles you'd like to see the the franchise complete next or do after this? Oh, no. Yeah. The guys that are that are in charge now, Alex Kurtzman and his his crew. Yeah. Um they're pretty smart people and they're really good storytellers. So Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, you know, I think it's in it's in good hands. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're you're a great storyteller too, and thank you for doing the show. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love being cracked. I've wanted to get cracked for some time. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My enormous thanks to Lavar. Burton. Isn't he amazing? And I really, really hope you will check out uh, his podcast. It's called LeVar Burton Reads. You can hear stories by Ray Bradbury, Ursula Le Guin, Nettie Okorafor, and so many other incredible writers performed by an incredible performer who has spent the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years trying to get all of America to read more and to become even more complete people. Pretty neat thing. Also, I think the first guest we've ever had from Star Trek, which is, uh, you know, lifelong dream to get to talk to someone like that. This is great. Really enjoying it. And uh, what else is in our food notes? More material on the uh, statistics around literacy in America. There's also a lot of material in there about that science fiction prototyping phenomenon that we started talking about. And there are, there are so many more amazing stories like that. The Taser is, its name is an acronym, which means Tom Swift's Electric Rifle because it's named after the Tom Swift young adult novels where a kid named Tom Swift would go on crazy adventures. Also, Igor Sikorsky uh, is a scientist who, when he was very young, read a Jules Verne story called Rober the Conqueror from the late 1800s. And that featured a lot of really neat airships that had propellers on the top of them. And Sikorsky said, hey, why don't I contribute to the invention of the modern helicopter that many of us use to get around or, I don't know, get to a hospital? You know, science fiction did pretty good work there. Really, really appreciate it. It's such a positive force in the world. I'm glad many of you like it. We know at Crack that that's a, that's a thing for our fans. Some other things about this episode. Our theme music is the excellent song Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Ryan Connor and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that is great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, a space where I have uh, just kind of been saying what I can say about uh, some very exciting things that I'm very grateful about that have been going on, including television's Jeopardy. Maybe you found this through that. That's pretty nuts, right? Great. Glad to have you. That social media I mentioned, I'm at Alex Schmitty on Twitter. I'm at Alex Schmitztagram on Instagram, just sort of a fun thing there. And my website is alexschmitty.com. It's got my show dates, my email newsletter of fun stuff and more. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then.
This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.